1: episode 267 of the read to lead podcast is brought to you in part by self-publishing school where chandler bolt in his free training will take you from blank page to published author in as little as 90 days and send you a free copy of his book published for more visit read published right now
2: I hear from leaders all the time that say, Yeah, but okay, that maybe is what people need from work, but is it my job as an employer to provide all that? What I often say is, Well, only if you want your people to bring the best they have.
1: Hello to you. I am Jeff, and this is the Read to Lead podcast. As you may know by now, it's the podcast dedicated to your personal and your professional growth. And I believe that if you'll want to achieve true success in business and in life, then intentional and consistent reading. It's got to be a part of that plan. The Read to Lead podcast will help you narrow this reading list and also help bring you the key insights and valuable ideas from some of today's most successful and inspiring authors. I would never think of inviting any other guy. In a moment, you and I will be joined by Mo Carrick. Her new book is called Brave Space Workplace, Making Your Company Fit for Human Life. I'll ask Mo to share about the consequences of focusing relentlessly on growth and profit as a company these days, some common issues that are making some workplaces toxic today, the tools for learning how to actually create a fit workplace, and plenty more. Did you know that I've created a list of my 12 all-time best business and personal development books Indeed, I have, with explanations for why each was chosen and much more, and it's free. You can get it right now when you text the phrase read to lead, no spaces, read to lead to 33444. That's it. Just text the phrase read to lead, all one word, to 33444. I've surveyed over 150 of the world's most successful and inspiring authors, and these are their most cited recommendations. I've put them together in a top 12 list just for you. Again, it's free when you text read to lead to 33444. Mo Carrick, a best selling author and founder of Momentum, Inc helps brave people do the hard things that make organizations great and benefit people, results, partners, the environment, and the community. She seeks to help people thrive in the companies for which they work and grounds her approach in a unifying and undeniable truth. Successful work is dependent on human relationships. She holds a master's degree in organizational development, is a certified Daring Way Dare to Lead facilitator, a coach, and an administrator of a variety of tools in her trade. She is a regular blogger on topics related to people at work and is a contributor to Conscious Company magazine. Her new book, which comes out on May 21st, is called Brave Space Workplace, Making Your Company Fit for Human Life. Mo, it's a delight to welcome you to the Read to Lead podcast.
2: Thank you, Jeff. I'm so happy to be here.
1: And did I get that date right? May 21st?
2: You did. Yes. That's our, that's our launch date.
1: Awesome. Well, in the foreword of Moe's book, uh, Cammie Dunaway, the chief marketing officer of Duolingo, writes, I'm envious of the young manager about to dive into the pages ahead. You can learn so much that will positively impact you and the people you'll go on to lead. I am here to confirm that Cammie is not wrong. (laughs)
0: <laughs> awesome.
1: <laughs> well, let's begin, Mo, with what you describe in the uh, early part of the book as a relentless focus by many companies on, on profit, the quarter over quarter growth. What have been some of the, of the consequences of that over, say, the last, I don't know, 100 years or so?
2: Mm. Well, they're kind of dire, Jeff. I mean, as you know, (laughs) I and I it's interesting because working, you know, the vast majority of my clients are uh, for profit corporations. And although Mm. I'm a certified benefit corp with a big emphasis on the triple line, I, I get it. I mean, we companies need to make a profit in general. So please know that I'm not anti-profit but at the same time we've sort of begun to treat profit not begun we have for a long time as the only north star and i think um what i'm seeing and what we're experiencing in terms of trends is that is that it's that relentless focus only on on profit um and that Arrow always going up and, and to the right that that is harming us and you know a couple of things that that I that I call out in the book and there's I'm sure more consequences but but one is of course the environmental impact mm-hmm. we're um you know climate change the scarring of all of our natural resources exploitation is is a huge. Impacts of of um, of that focus on profit really, you know, um, internationally, Um, we also see and there's been a lot in the media about this lately, as I'm sure you're aware about, you know, the impacts of the uh, wealth accumulation and and concentration of wealth in just a few, um, which has created some pretty toxic wage stagnation and a wage Mm -hmm. gap. Um, that's getting worse not better unfortunately that you know shrinking middle class and the disparity even within um, corporations between the top wage earners and and the bottom is, is becoming you know really huge and I would say another impact we're seeing from this relentless focus on profit is that um, you know employees are now looking for something else they, they're kind of onto us right they're they're <laughs> They're saying, you know, hang on, like I, I think especially since the most recent recession, we are uh, as a whole, I think people are seeking meaning and purpose. They want to have a life, and then they want to have work that supports that life. And so so I think some of that is about this, the sort of shell game of of human beings being able being able to see through and say, you know, only. Focusing on profitability is is kind of a hollow a hollow victory overall.
1: Well, let's dig into that a little bit more. I, I published a podcast episode recently and a subsequent blog post inspired by a friend of mine named Jeff Goins called "Life Is Too Short." To do things you can't stand, uh, uh, related to uh, specifically to, you know, the world of work and hating your job and doing nothing but but complaining about it. And in her book, Mo writes, it's clear that life is too short for our work hours to be wasted in in misery. So, so what do we really need Mo when it comes to work?
2: Well, I was just writing a blog about this very question, Jeff. Thanks for asking it because I. I hear from leaders all the time that say, yeah, but okay, that maybe is what people need from work, Mo. But is it my job as an employer to provide all that? Mm -hmm. And, you know, what I often say is, well, only if you want your people to bring the best they have. (laughs) Right. You know, only if you want them functioning on all cylinders, because the reality is if you're working full time right now, most of us spend more time at work than we do anywhere else, including with our family and our friends. So we are bringing our needs, you know, to work. Cammy and I started, and I love that quote you shared from her in the forward. I'm so honored by it. When we wrote Fit Matters, How to Love Your Job, which was our first book, we were really writing it for the job seeker. And that's where the research that I carry on in Brave Space really began around what is it that we need when we're looking for a workplace where we can bring our talents. And, and what I've... Um, Landed on really is is seven things that I think people bring to work today as as needs, and some of them are pretty basic, and you'll recognize them, I'm sure, from your own experience. Obviously, we have to meet our basic requirements, which is the the, the mo- money or non cash compensation that allows us to you know provide food, clothing, shelter, safety, etc. Um, but in addition to that, we need fundamentally to contribute. Right. I mean, we need to do something that matters to someone. And when people hear that second one from me, they often say, well, not everybody can work for social or environmentally minded business. And I say, yeah, you know, that's true. But that's not what this is about. This is about like, can I connect the dots that the thing I'm doing matters to somebody? Mm. I have a story about that. I'll, I'll come back to if we have time. But thirdly, we need to be seen which is to be known, you know, to have someone know our name, maybe know a little bit about our circumstances, what calls us to have joined your organization. Fourthly, and Dr. Brene Brown and others speak profoundly about this, Patrick Lancioni, Daniel Goleman, we need to be able to connect in real ways with other people. And because of the amount of time we're spending at work, that need for connection does play out often at work, um, where we're getting our social Vibrancy and our feeling of being part of a group, largely from the workplace. Fifthly, we need to learn. We need to be able to become better over time. I mean, that's on Maslow's hierarchy as well. We want to self actualize. We don't want to say the same and do the same thing tomorrow that we did yesterday forever and ever. I mean, that's not what any of us really want. Um, Sixthly, we want to feel supported. And I define that as being able to be brave, knowing that there are risks. I use uh, call that one feeling safe because psychological safety, as you may recall from like Google's research in 2015, the Aristotle Project really points to the importance of psychological safety and team health. But but to me, we want to go a little bit beyond just feeling safe because we can't necessarily guarantee it as employees, can we, as employers, excuse me, you know, can we, we, you know, you can't be guaranteed that you're not going to lose your job or guaranteed that something isn't going to be difficult or challenging for you or have a consequence. But we do want to be able to feel supported so that we can be brave and activate innovation and creativity and problem solving. And last but not least, you know, we want to be able to make our lives work, right? And that Mm -hmm. might be, you know, being able to do the things that matter to us, whether it's that I'm a young parent and I wanna be able to be available for my children or I'm a professional athlete and I need a lot of training time or I want to live in an urban environment and not have a long commute, you know, whatever it is, we wanna be able to integrate our work into our lives in a nutshell. So those are kind of the seven things that I think we have in our backpacks when we come to work every day, which is a lot for the employer, but it's when those things are present in varying degrees, it facilitates us being able to really offer our full energy and attention to that job.
1: You mentioned a story you wanted to come back to.
2: Well, I was thinking, Jeff, about this idea of like doing something that we can contribute. And I was reminded of, um, and I think I tell this story in uh, in the book in a shortened version. When I was young, I was in college and I took a job one summer to be near my boyfriend. Good reason for anybody to be <laughs> town right and um, the job was as a janitor at a hospital and it was it was a acute care hospital I was on like the orthopedic floor or the surgery floor and I just you know was taught how to do my job and it was kind of mundane I rode my bike to work every day I think I worked like seven to three so it was nice because I got out early and I could hang out with my sweetie and um, about three weeks into the job which I didn't take very seriously it was just a summer job but one of my patients I had been cleaning her room and she had come in for gallbladder surgery and she she actually died. Mm-hmm. And my boss, whose name was Pedro, sat me down along with another one of the housekeepers and said, Hey, you know, that Mrs. So-and-so died, and do you know why she died? And you know, I was like 19, I was like, I don't know why she died. She, you know, she was sick. And he said, Well, she died because she got an infection. And it's possible that she got the infection because we or someone in a role like ours failed to use the cleaning materials that we provide. In the proper sequence, allowing some bacteria or some germ to grow and perhaps contributing to her death. And when he said that to me, all of a sudden, this sort of mindless summer job that I had became like whammo, like whoa. Like I wasn't really clued into the proper order to use all these chemicals mm. before. But I sure was then because I could connect to my mother or my sister or my father being in the hospital and thinking, wow, I would not want them to suffer a life threatening illness or even worse death because someone like me failed to clean the room properly. And, you know, it was a basic job. It was minimum wage job. But all of a sudden it went from zero to 100 in terms of my feeling Like what I did mattered. And I began Mm -hmm. to take my role a lot more seriously. Um, So that's really what we're talking about when we say contribute. It's like no matter how mundane the job is, how does it fit in the bigger scheme? What is the context of this job having value? Because if it doesn't have value, well, we shouldn't be doing it. Mm -hmm. But often we as bosses fail to tell that story, don't we?
1: Yeah. You mentioned number five, I think, was to learn, become better, to self-actualize, uh, as Maslow puts it. In, in his hierarchy, uh, it's a little further down the, the, the food chain. I think I hear you saying that in 2019, self-actualization is, is much higher than Maslow's hierarchy would, would indicate. Is that, is that fair to say?
2: I think so I mean uh what we now know and what we what we've achieved socially and and you know around the world, I think spiritually in many ways you're right there there are it's a higher bar um around self actualization the and and yet the interesting thing about Maslow's hierarchy is that some pieces of it are being debunked and and one of them is that you know he put the need for human connection kind of midway up his pyramid. And we now know that the need for human connection actually is as important to us as the need for food, shelter, security, and safety. As social beings, we have to connect with others. So, so yes, self-actualization is still there. It's even more primary to us, but, but so is that, um, that need to connect as a pretty base need.
1: If you're hearing some of what Mo is saying today, or for that matter, any past guests, and you're thinking to yourself, you know what? I could write a book about that topic, or I'm an expert on that topic. Why don't... I write a book about it and go on Jeff's show to talk about it. Well, that very much could be you. If you're stuck, I can help you get unstuck, or more accurately, my friend Chandler Bolt can help you get unstuck through self-publishing school. Not only has Chandler himself done this successfully numerous times, but he's helped about, I think it's 4,000 people, last I checked, self-publish their own book as well. What is Self-Publishing School? Well, it's an online education company that's dedicated to one thing, helping people like you get your book idea out of your head and on paper as fast as you can, and then getting your published book into the hands of as many people as you can. Now, to that end, Chandler is hosting some free training coming up soon where he'll show you the exact process to follow to go from blank page to published author in as little as 90 days and the exact book launch blueprint to follow to launch your book to $10,000 and beyond and earn monthly royalties month after month. If you've ever thought about writing a book, whether as an extra income stream or to generate leads for your business or maybe share a story you wanted to tell, you owe it to yourself to sign up for this free training. It's completely free, and you can register right now at readtoleadpodcast.com slash published. And when you sign up, you get a free copy of Chandler's book published just for signing up. I mean, even if you don't go to the training, you can get a free book. So go to readtoleadpodcast.com slash published right now, sign up for the free training, And Chandler's book, Published, is on its way to you. Readdeletepodcast.com slash published. There's a great deal of concern uh, about the impact of computers and AI on the future of work, and we hear a lot about that in the media. Media tends to focus on that quite a bit here lately. Uh, What are the key questions, Mo, that leaders should be asking that will help shape tomorrow's uh, workplace in, in that regard?
2: Mm. Well, I, I think there's three key questions. There's probably more, Jeff, but, <laughs> but the three that I find myself thinking a lot about are what work is unique to humans? The second is what role does work play in the health of our society overall? And the third is how can machines reinforce what humans do best? Mm. And, you know, what I'm getting at with these questions. And what I discovered in my research about the real role of technology and the the chapter in the book is called AI machines and robots. Oh, my. because, you know, we, we really are seeing a huge uptick in, in the replacement of jobs with machines and with automation, and it's very threatening to, to the workforce in many ways. But when we, when we really look at that, we, we become very, very aware, and there's been a number of studies that are really pointing to this, that as good as machines are, and they are, they make things faster, they crunch big data, they make r- mundane tasks much more doable, mm. there are limits and it's the limits of machines that can illuminate and activate the greatness that we as human beings can bring. And I think we've got to get really focused on that with those questions in order to integrate machines and, and, um, and automation into our, our human landscape of work. Mm.
1: Uh, in, in regard to something we touched on earlier, the focus on, on growth and profit, uh, there, there is hope that things are beginning to change for big companies, right? What, what, what are some of the influences of, of that change?
2: Well, there's many. I think the, the recession, the recent recession has, has caused us to rethink some of it, as well as the global economy. One of the um, recent outputs that I've dug into a bit more closely is uh, from Deloitte. It's a, a piece that they wrote a report called The Rise of the Social Enterprise in 2018. And they talk about the fact that big organizations are really becoming social enterprises, not only economic enterprises. And so revenue and profit making are going to, are going to need to be mindful of the bigger environment and the stakeholder network overall. So there are some things that are really influencing how these organizations are moving. And what Deloitte points to is, one, is that the power of the individual is growing, you know, um, with millennials at the forefront. The the social media environment, the digital age makes the individual really all-powerful around influence and access to influence through the dissemination of messaging. Second is that, Businesses increasingly, and I know you've seen this in your role, but we are, we are expecting business to fill a leadership vacuum in society mm-hmm. um, more so than ever before. It's taking the place of government in, in many situations and um, the leadership there becomes critical. And then thirdly is what we, ju- we were just talking about around technology having unforeseen impacts on our society and creating big opportunities for sustainable and inclusive growth so I think these these dynamics as well as some others are, are definitely causing us to to have a sea change of foot amongst the big companies the mega companies and the really large corporations
1: and that last one uh, technology or at least when it comes to our, our devices mm. uh, that would be something that I think in your view is one of the things that is making or helping to make workplaces toxic in, in 2019 is that fair to say
2: yeah, it is. And you know, it's a paradox, isn't it, Jeff? Right. Because we love our devices. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I mean, I do like, I can do things on my device that I never imagined possible. Mm. Um, I worked for one of the earlier cell phone innovators, Craig McCaw. I worked for McCaw Cellular early in my career before digital. Uh, it was in the days of analog. And Craig McCaw had a vision, which was that our, our phones, he said one time at an all-employee meeting that someday we would have a chip implanted in our head hmm. and it would allow us to access our bank accounts and our mail. And we all thought he was a little bit, you know, off his marbles, but <laughs> we practically can see that, you know, happening now. And so there's so many good things that our devices do for us, but... They also contribute to toxicity. And, and what I see is it that 24-7 access and the way that we relate to our devices. We, I was noticing in the airport, I was traveling, uh, for work and I was watching around. I do this sometimes as sort of a game and everybody has their phone in their hand and they're And and they're on it. They're emailing. They're talking to people that are not present in the space they're at. And that that constant access, that constant connectivity, um, I think, often driven by the need to stay connected to work, contributes to to toxicity. There are some other things that that I think are, are the big Impacts uh, that contribute to work being toxic for us as human beings. You know, the tagline of the book is making your workplace fit for human life, because I think in so many ways uh, workplaces aren't. Mm. Um, you know, one is inclusion. Like, we still haven't cracked the code around full inclusion of the diversity of spectrum of people that are out there around all the big arenas of diversity, such as race and gender um, and heteronormativity, but all the other ones as well, physical ability, even, you know, personality, um, age, demographics, we have a lot to go before we have that healthy, vibrant mix. I think another one, another toxic element, and I hear this from leaders all the time, you probably do on your podcast too, which is the erosion of time to think. (laughs)
0: <laughs> definitely
2: you know I've never met a leader if I say to any leader at any level hey do you have enough time to really think about the problems you have to face every day they, they always say no they don't have mm-hmm. time to, enough time to think and when I say well when do you do your best thinking they almost always say at home in the shower on a run when I'm up at night when I'm up early in the morning, they're not doing their best thinking at work. And and that's a problem because in order to do deep work, deep thinking, I mean, the research is clear on this. We need a little bit of space. One article I was reading recently said that it actually takes us almost two hours to get into deep work. Mm. And so we need a minimum of a four-hour block of deep thinking in order to be successful at those complex tasks like writing and studying and learning something new. A couple of other stuff that I see in the toxic... Uh, realm for workplaces. One of my personal favorites in an area I work in a lot is leaders who are bad for people. Mm. You know, we know our companies through our immediate boss. And so, you know, I might have the best CEO in the world at the helm in my organization, but if the person who supervises me is a real jerk or doesn't connect, be me. Yeah, it, my experience with that company is going to be bad, and um, and I think we we tend to underinvest in those frontline leaders that really have the most influence around people's level of engagement. Um, And then lastly, for now, I think another toxic contribution is failure to tell the truth in organizations. And I don't mean necessarily around ethical violations such as, you know, corporate glossing over of facts. I'm more talking about leaders at every level and even employees being rigorously honest with each other in the hard conversations, giving direct feedback naming problems, pushing for emotional connection through those hard conversations. I think oftentimes it's the failure to tell the truth in those day-to-day conversations that contribute to the big, the big toxicity um, at a macro level. Does that make sense?
1: Totally, totally. When you mention things like uh, deep work, my mind automatically goes to a book by the same title written by uh, Cal Newport, which you're likely uh, familiar with. Mm-hmm. And I think it's only fitting that his most recent book, which we're in the process of uh, working out a time to interview him about, is called Digital Minimalism, <laughs> which, mm-hmm. uh, uh, about those things that impact our ability to, to enjoy deep work so often. Interesting. In their last book, Mo and her co-author outlined some key trends that impact the creation of workspaces, quote-unquote, fit for human life, uh, that are still relevant and, and timely today. What, what are some of those trends that, that you're seeing, Mo?
2: Well, the, some of them are really fun and funny, and some of them are maybe not as funny. One <laughs> is that yeah, I continue to see this proliferation of new and ambiguous roles, like new titles pop up every day, hmm. things like Director of First Impressions. Growth hacker was a new one that I saw, which mm. was interesting. And you know, jobs are morphing and changing. Um, one of my children is a community song leader. That's his. That's his work. Mm. And I think that we we are seeing roles emerge in organizations that we never even imagined were possible. And and that's a trend that I don't think is is gonna is gonna change. Mm. Another trend that I think we touched on a little bit, Jeff, already is that increasingly the entering generations have a strong motivation for. For meaning and purpose. They aren't going to settle for just doing a job because they need to have a job and it's what must be done. And and they'll and they'll activate to find meaning behind what they're doing um, before they look, for example, to the wage or the retirement benefits of an organization because they want to be part of uh, of making a difference. Um, I think a trend that isn't going away is the need for flexibility, flexibility really becoming a currency. You know, it gets in those press, I think, often for for women who are um, uh, mothers, you know, in the workforce wanting flexible hours. But it's really transcending that now. We've got a huge demand on the ability to work at home, the ability to telecommute. People want to have flex time in their hours. And that's not disappearing it's not dissipating you know gone are the days when everybody came to hq and worked you know nine to five i think another trend that impacts all of us i know it impacts me is information overload you know the, mm-hmm. the dark side of the digital ages we can we can find out almost anything anytime that we want to know and it overwhelms us you know when i was researching both books and it It's fresher for me with brave space because I just finished it last year when I was doing my research a couple of different times, I actually had to stop going out to the Internet And and asking questions to shape my research because I would get so overwhelmed by the volume of messages out there that I began to lose my own way with my point of view. And so I would force myself to turn off. I'd say no, no Internet searching for one week because you've got to figure out what's your idea here, you know, that you want to say. Um, And I think that happens really to all of us. I think another trend, Jeff, that also isn't going away is the speed with which transactions happen. And machine learning, of course, makes that even more of a opportunity, but also a challenge because we can now crunch, you know, big data faster. So we can we can look at at making things go quickly, which is in many cases really good, but it also has a dark side, which is that there's less and less reflection, less and less consensus building process around, let's think through what the impact of this action will be. And I think that's a big opportunity
1: well, let's, let's transition from some of those key trends, Mo, that impact the creation of workplaces or spaces fit for human life uh, to some of the tools for learning how to actually create a fit workplace and the inspiration to, to use those tools. This actually comprises half the book's content, part, part three. Uh, we can't cover this in depth, obviously, mm-hmm. but uh, share, if you would, some of the, some of the highlights.
2: Yeah, you know it's a it's a big hairy beast in a lot of ways um, to figure out. All right, what is it? What's the algorithm? And this is a short book. I tried to write it so that you could read it on a long plane flight. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, uh, so I'm aware that you know doing so has its limits. But what I what the way I've organized the work, and I think um, I think in a nutshell, these tools all start with leadership. And I describe them, Jeff, as lovers, which I think is a nice word for tool. I've identified five. The first one is probably the most important one. Um, It's what I call the who. So I organize the levers sort of like a reporter, who, what, where, when, why, and how. And the who has two acts to it, really. The first one is leaders who have head and heart habits. And the second one is Teams Who Care. So, you know, when I think about the who, I'm really talking about the human essentials that are critical uh, for creating a workplace fit for human life. That's really where it all starts, it's the center. Beyond that, the second lever that I speak of in the book is the what, which is in a nutshell, the culture Mm. that we're, that we're driving from our company, which, you know, in its most basic way, we just, we define culture as simply how we do things here. But what I'm talking about really with the second lever is a, is the creation of a conscious culture, creating the way we do things here through a embedded set of values that show up in the behaviors that people demonstrate day in and day out. So lever two is the is a culture level three or lever three, excuse me. Me, I describe as the where and the when, which is purposeful mm. design. People often think I'm talking about the physical workspace, which I am talking about the physical workspace, but I'm talking about much more than that mm. because design really includes everything that happens in an organization, from our performance management conversations to our workflow processes, to our physical space, to how do we handle remote workers, and and when designed carefully, these things can either activate human greatness or they can disable and compromise it so i think design is super important um, the fourth one we've talked about already the fourth lever is the why which is meaning and context how do we knit the dots for people and then the fifth one is the how which i describe as the soft stuff mm. and being real which kind of goes right back to lever one the mm-hmm. human essentials but but it's here that i'm including how do we really crack the nut of diversity and inclusion how do we inculcate our workforce to be one where people can be authentic um, human beings rather than kind of curated, picture perfect human beings. So that's that's the uh, Reader's Digest version of the five letters.
1: Mm, well done. <laughs> well, I have a couple of questions I, I, I want to get to in the time we have left, not directly related to the book, Mo. Uh, before I do that, is there anything else from the book you want to make sure we know or, or walk away with?
2: I think the only thing I would say for if you're a leader, if you're a soul printer or you're running a small, midsize, medium or large company, I think the one thing I would say about this book is that, is that I think it will help you examine how everything that you do as a leader Communicates information to your employees about what you value, and that that introspection is really worth it in terms of the legacy you might leave behind as a leader. So mm-hmm. I'm hoping that's what it does for people. Mm-hmm. And what I would want people to know is that I want them to let me know if they think it is helping, because that's super important to my learning curve as well. Uh,
1: one of the things I enjoyed about reading your book, and I've made several notes along these lines, is some of the books you cite. Uh, and I was going, oh, I need, to, I need to pick that book up, and I need to pick that book up. <laughs> I, need, uh, I want you to think about some of the books you've read, maybe those you cited in this book or others that have had an impact on you, uh, mm. and maybe share how or why they, they impacted you as, as they did.
2: Mm. Well, you know, one that I can't, of course, avoid mentioning because it's so big right now in my work and really in the world is Dr. Brené Brown's most recent book dare to lead. Mm -hmm. Um, it's blockbuster. It's at the top of all the lists. It's, um, she just did a Netflix special on courage and, and I'm, I'm loving, um, the work of dare to lead, which I use as my core leadership curriculum. I am certified in her approach. And, and I love Brene's books, all of them, because they're easy to read, but I particularly like dare to lead because it takes the courage building research and really puts it in the, the tool set for leaders, um, Another book that I've really loved um, over the years and I reference often is called The Radical Leap. And The Radical Leap is love in the context of the business world. And I'm trying to remember his name. Stephen Farber, I think, is the author. It's an easy read book about sort of the essence of the role that leaders play based on love, love of employees, love of the work. Another one that's a favorite for me is um, orbiting the Giant Hairball. Have you ever come across that one?
1: I, I've, I've not read it, but I have heard of it.
2: Yeah. It, you know, that book um, is one that I came across sort of accidentally and um, somebody recommended it to me and I thought, oh, this doesn't sound like it really speaks to me. But it's it's really um, it's Gordon McKenzie wrote the book. It's uh, the subtitle is a Corporate Fool's Guide to Surviving with Grace. And it's about creativity. Uh, mm. I think it's really powerful, again, kind of in a bit of a reframe around how we typically think of business. So th- those are three that come to mind. I think I like business books that are easy to read, Why? Mm. This, which is why all of these are pretty short. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I love it. Love it. Nothing wrong with that. Well, I, right. I, I enjoyed, uh, as I got ready for this interview, watching uh, one of your TEDx talks. Mm. Uh, and right out of the gate, just super engaging and just hooks the, the listener in right away. Uh, I'd love to know, as a successful speaker, what some of your tips would be for delivering a memorable and, and impactful talk.
2: Mm gosh you know in order to get to the memorable and impactful ones I've have to I've had to deliver a lot of really crappy ones <laughs> stuff. So, uh, so that's that's how you get there right is you do it wrong first I think you know I've had some great coaches for my talks that I've given and I'm a Ted organizer as well and and so I know that with Ted you get hired you get assigned a coach which has been invaluable to me and mm. one of the things that one of my speaking coaches said to me once that really stuck with me is you know mo you'll never go wrong if you're speaking from your heart and so that's something I've tried to practice myself before I'm giving a talk is like, what is it that I'm feeling that I really want to say? And um, I really noticed that my most recent talk, which was given in January on a TED stage was titled Loving Men, What's Women's Role in Healthy Masculinity? And and that talk was a hard one, like TED always is, it's 18 minutes or less. But I had a lot to say about it. But my Coach helped me really put my the center of why I feel that's important as a mom of two sons and one daughter and as an employer and a worker in the in the space of business. um, It was easy for me to tap into that. So I think that's one thing. The other thing that I think I would say now, Jeff, that I probably wouldn't have said 20 years ago is write it early and revise it a lot (laughs) because I think I used to just say, oh, just wing it. (laughs) Mm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I do sometimes still wing it and I'm lucky that I can often pull that off, but I am definitely better when I've when I've gotten it kind of winnowed down and I've spent the time sort of separating the wheat from the shape around Mm. what's really helpful to the audience Mm. about this.
1: I so have learned that last one, especially in my, my own life of writing it early and, and revise it uh, often. I think, I think you need to give yourself the space to do that for sure, to really knock it out of the park.
0: Mm.
1: Well, finally, uh, I, I know, of course, you're in book publishing mode here for a little while uh, yet. Uh, but beyond that, uh, if, if you're able to share uh, a desire to share, what's ahead for you and your team that on the horizon has you excited?
2: Mm. Well, certainly the launch is super fun. We're also rolling out a lot of Dare dare to Lead programs in Brene's work around the country and around the world, which is super fun. I think um, another thing that I'm really thrilled about is really starting to combine the work I do on Brave Space Workplaces with my history as a wilderness guide by taking the content and the work on the road a bit in adventure-based settings again, which is a hearkening back to my youth and is a super, uh, super fun dynamic. We'll be hosting some trips um, nationally and internationally that are blending didactic content for leaders, but in uh, an experiential format, uh, kayaking, hiking, being in wilderness or lodge-based settings, which is super fun. The research that I'm digging into right now has two main threads that i'm also excited about one is doing some work on better understanding the relationship between white women and women of color at mm. work there's an essential role there around the intersectionality of race you know white women have benefited uh, more greatly from feminism than women of color have at work and i'm i'm curious about what else we need to do in that in that realm so that will probably be be what book three is about but it's kind of a toss-up because the other thing I continue to, to poke at a lot is what about caregiving? needs to change for men and women in order to really activate the kinds of leadership balance that is necessary for long-term sustainability. So, you know, typically men have held executive office and they've had a stay-at-home spouse and that's changing now with women beginning to penetrate those ranks. And as a mom of three, I know just how hard that is. And there's some profound myths about parenting that I think we have to shift for men and women to be in that caretaking story in the same way. So I'm, I'm also continuing to have have my ear to the ground listening about that and queuing up some thought leadership there as well
1: well the release date for this again is may 21st it's called brave space workplace making your company fit for Human Life, and her name is Mo Carrick. Mo, thank you so much for taking time out of your uh, travel schedule. I know you're on the road right now and and, and, and coming here and talking to us uh, on the Read to Lead podcast. I really appreciate it.
2: Well, thank you, Jeff. Thanks so much for having me. It's been a pleasure to talk to you. I love listening to your podcast, so thanks for having me as your guest.
1: For more on Mo and the links to the resources we talked about, visit Read to readtoleadpodcast.com slash 267 for episode 267. While you're there, I hope you'll sign up for my 12 all time best business and personal growth books, or you can simply text the phrase Read to Lead, all one word, to 33444. It's absolutely free. Speaking of free, make sure you grab your free copy of Chandler Bolt's book Published when you register for his free training. You can do that by going to slash published right now. I hope you enjoyed this episode. That's going to do it for this week. I look forward to seeing you next time for the Read to Lead podcast. Until then, Remember, leaders read and readers lead.